The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to another episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson, and this is a one-off episode where we are recapping the 2021 Major League Baseball Draft. The Chicago White Sox continued their draft strategy of recent years going over slot early, especially in the second round. But this year, it was taking a prep player in the first round with shortstop Colson Montgomery, the first prep player the White Sox have taken in the first round since 2012. Who are the other players the White Sox drafted over the 20 rounds? Well, joining me to recap the 2021 Major League Baseball draft for the Chicago White Sox from Future Sox, it's James Fox. And hello, James. Unlike our Twitter space, this time we are recording our thoughts of the Major League Baseball draft. And uh, I, I think we both agree <laughs> that uh, from the Twitter space, it was absolutely crazy on how the first top 10 picks worked out, uh, especially Henry Davis shocking everyone going number one overall uh, to the Pittsburgh Pirates and Kumar Rocker dropping and Khalil Watson dropping. But for the White Sox, they were tied so long to Colson Montgomery. And at the end of the day, it still ends up being Colson Montgomery at 22 to the White Sox. Yeah, you know, thanks for having me, obviously. Um, I think it was something that we thought could happen like obviously like four weeks ago like we were like yeah it's going to be Colson Montgomery that's what we all kept hearing and for me like I guess like I I was having issues just with like the draft being later like everything I heard was they love Colson Montgomery and I'm like you know it's not an NFL draft where like they're sending smoke out to like you know take somebody else potentially like because I mean if somebody else wants to take him they're gonna take him right so mm-hmm. like I guess if everybody knows who you like it's not that big of a deal but I was kind of like you know it's it's not really typical White Sox to like have their their pick out five weeks ahead of time but the draft was like four weeks later than normal so you know it ended up coming to fruition you know there were a lot of rumors that he was gonna go before him I think my final mock. Um, I did not have Colson Montgomery at 22 only because I had him going earlier than that. I, I don't know if you agree. I think the Mets are the biggest threat, but I think the Mets kind of got an inkling that Kumar was going to fall to them. And they just kind of like shifted their bonus pool priorities to that. And then that's kind of why. Mm-hmm. Montgomery fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the rumor is what 6 million to Kumar rocker at pick 10. So getting top five money at pick 10, yeah, that would that would change the the Mets strategy because the the strategy for the Mets was to go under slot. That was the rumor. They would go under slot for Montgomery at pick 10 to try to grab another player that they liked early in the second round to offer first round money again early in the second round. And maybe you can get another player that would have been in the 20 to 30 range to drop to the Mets and they can get two quality prospects, but I don't think they're complaining about it. Drafting Kumar Rocker uh, in my mock, I had the Chicago Cubs taking Colson Montgomery only because the the Cubs writers and the, their prospect guys that I was speaking with the morning of the draft, they thought that was the direction the Cubs were going to go was taking Colson Montgomery. 
but they end up taking left-hander uh, Jordan Wicks from Kansas State, who I was a bit surprised dropped to the Cubs to pick 21. But I'm happy with the pick. And I think we, we, said, we both said this in the Twitter space on the day of that we like the pick at Colson Montgomery, but sleeping on it and letting it sit for a few days. Do you still like the pick of Colson Montgomery to the White Sox at pick 22, James? I do. I wanted him to go young, and obviously he's not as young as some others, but the the White Sox think that he's going to stay at shortstop. Other evaluators think that he could. Even if not, he's going to have enough bat for third. Um, You know, I will say getting West Cath, and we'll move on to him obviously in a bit, getting him in the second round to pair with Colson Montgomery makes me feel better about Colson Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's Colson mm-hmm. and then it's like a bunch of college pitchers, like it's fine. Like it's useful for your system, but you know, I wanted them to go prep prep and they did it. So I think the fact that, you know, they got Colson at 22 and then West Cath at 57. I don't know how many people thought like liked West Cath better than Colson, but I think they're both in similar like ranges, right? So you got two players and maybe neither one of them are as high as 22, but they're both like much higher ranked than like 57. So yeah, I mean, they got two guys who they thought were first round talents with their first two picks. And I, you know, I think after that, it was, it, it was kind of like easy to consider the rest of the draft gravy because, you know, you got those two prep guys up top. Yeah, I view this as good building blocks because you and I have had this conversation often leading up to the draft that somebody within the organization has to look forward to 2024 because you have a lot of the contracts for the current White Sox core, their championship core, that they're going to expire in 2024. We don't know who's owning the White Sox. We don't know who's managing the money for the White Sox in 2024. That could all change in a couple of years. And I don't want to speculate on that front because the way that White Sox operate money-wise could, you know, completely change, especially if fans come into droves and they get more cash. Maybe they spend more. We'll, we'll see. Maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. But at the very least, because the White Sox have two stars right now at shortstop at Tim Anderson and third base with Yohan Makata, that Montgomery and Kath, they can take their time developing and they can spend, you know, each season at a level very similar to the development that the White Sox had with Tim Anderson and that they tried to have with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert until both of those guys just made those levels, especially double A, look super easy compared to uh, their teammates. I'm I'm really excited with what the White Sox were able to do in the first two rounds. And I'm with you, James. I, I think that these are two good building blocks for the White Sox added to their farm system. Hopefully it gives the farm system a jolt. Uh, but do you expect to see Montgomery and Kath with Kanapolis before the season ends? I think it could happen. I, you know, I, I think they're going to go to Arizona for sure. I don't know how quickly they are. So you know, at Future Sox, I, I've talked to a lot of the later round picks um, that are signing. And, it, you know, it sounds like they're most of them are going to Birmingham Monday for like some sort of like workout where like the whole draft class is going there. And I didn't check the schedule. So the Barons must be on the road. And then I guess like everybody will just like go to wherever they're sent. Like from there, I don't know if that applies to like Montgomery and Kath and Burke and some of those guys, but that's what the later guys are doing. You know, I would imagine they're going to go to the – everybody gets mad at me because I keep I keep typing the ACL, and, like, that's what the league's called. It's called the Arizona <laughs> Complex League. So anytime I say, like, Jared Kelly, rehab start in the ACL, like, people's heart drops because, you know, they think that he has a knee injury. Sorry, they changed the name of the league. Like, what, like, what do you want me to do? But, you know, I do think they, they spend a good portion of time there but if they hit there, I mean, I, I don't really see any issue with like sending them on to low A to end their season if you know that they're going to start there next year anyway, regardless. Let's go to Sean Burke because there's been a lot of conversation but with both Montgomery and Kath. But Sean Burke, the starting pitcher from the University of Maryland, you actually mocked him. So you, you, you were crazy uh, where I just had a first round mock. Uh, you decided to mock the first round and also pick guys the White Sox could take in the second and third round. And you had Sean Burke as the White Sox third round pick. Did you have inside information on that or was that just a, a fantastic guess? So 
I heard the name. I I think I had him in like my mock draft 2.0 as like one of the, cause I knew that that was a guy that they liked. Um, but I think I had him in the second round like months ago. And then when I went to go do this one, I was like, you know, McCade Brown's the Indiana thing. Like I kind of thought it would be college pitcher. So I did get like a little bit lucky cause I didn't know if he'd fall to 94. Um, cause obviously like, and they say this stuff all the time and who knows, but Mike Shirley said, you know, they have a scout, you know, that would have taken him, you know, that would have been fine with him in the first round, which I, we both know is nuts, but you know, so they, they really like Sean Burke. I mean, he's six, six, I think he's two thirty. Um, you know, it's just like good fastball characteristics. He needs a third pitch. Um, he needs to throw more strikes, but I mean, at 97, I mean, that's a college arm that with their development program, I mean, it's one of the things that they do pretty well and he fits in. He'll be a high four-seamer breaking ball type. So I would imagine, I mean, I don't know how much he's going to pitch this year because there was a lot of talk that a lot of these college starters would just get shut down. But, I mean, he's it. I mean, you would think he's at maybe Winston to start next year even. I mean, there's really no reason for him to pitch at Kannapolis, especially the way that league is skewing super young. So, I mean, that's a guy, you know, could move – pretty quick yeah sean burke had 107 strikeouts in 74 and a third innings pitched for maryland in 2021 his season era was 3.27 i do remember he he got hot late because there was a point during the season when checking in on the big 10 that wow maryland starter has a five era uh, and that was sean burke and that was early april april 9th uh, and then after that start against Nebraska, uh, Burke just got hot and he was able to drop that ERA from 5.09 to 3.27, which is exactly what you want to see. His last two starts of the year uh, were fantastic against Indiana, uh, six and two thirds scoreless innings, 12 strikeouts to just one hit allowed and he walked three and on June 5th against Norfolk State, uh, he threw six scoreless innings, striking out eight, uh, allowing five hits and four runs. So Sean Burke had a very uh, strong finish to his 2021 season. And I, I'm curious to see on, on what he can do going into the White Sox farm system, because the one knock that I heard is that, yeah, he can throw 96, but he wasn't throwing 96 towards the end of the season. Uh, so endurance is going to be something that he'll have to work on. And how can he continue to throw and maintain velocity over the entire course of a season? But that's a common thing with college pitchers. I mean, even Jack Leiter, who went second overall to Texas, I would see him early in the season, James, and he was throwing 97 college world series. He's throwing 91, 92. So that's just something that happens with all college starting pitchers that they they that's something they have to learn in their professional development is how to maintain velocity over the entire course of a season. Uh, but yeah, I, I as far as his arsenal and you know having that success with in the Big Ten at Maryland, the Big Ten's getting better at baseball. I, I like this option, especially if the White Sox do make a trade before July 31st, and let's say they trade Jonathan Stever. Well, John Burke can take Jonathan Stever's spot in a couple of seasons to be uh, some of that starting pitching depth the White Sox will need, especially depending on contract situations with Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn. And Burke can definitely be part of that mix for the White Sox starting pitching depth in a couple of seasons where in case of injury or trade or someone leaves in free agency, that maybe in 2023, 2024, we could be talking about Sean Burke getting some spot starts with the White Sox. I, I could see that as far as his future with the with the team. Uh, any risk as far as bullpen with Sean Burke? Uh, yeah, I think there's always some. I think if a, I mean if a third pitch isn't good enough, um, I, I think there's bullpen risk for sure. I mean, ideally, if that happens, you've you've traded him already to a team that still thinks that he can start. Um, but I mean, this is they they think it's a starter. I mean, it, it, it's something that Mike Shirley has said over and over again, and I feel like it might be a change between him and Nick Hostetler. You know, he he wants to target starters and guys that have started. And look, there there's a bunch of relief profiles in this class. But, you know, Sean Burke, 
I they're going to run out as a starter because they think he's a starter. I don't. Do you think that he, like, do you think that he fell? Because, like, just looking at rankings, I mean, I think Pipeline had him in the seventies, but Baseball America had him at fifty four, and they had Kath at fifty three. So, I mean, you know, looking at Baseball America, the White Sox got three of the top fifty five players in the draft class, which you know is great. It's pretty good picking where they're picking. Yeah, I think with Burke, it's he was a second, third round grade for me. So getting him in the third round is a great value for the White Sox. It gets weird in the second round because you have the teams that were clearly underslotting the first round going way over slot in the second round, right? I think Bubba Chandler went third round, and I definitely had a first round grade for him. Yeah, so it gets weird as far as on how it gets shuffled and the players, but. I don't think the White Sox reached or maybe not, you know, the White's Sean Burke fell to the White Sox because of some negative reason. I feel like this is a good spot for Sean Burke and good spot for the White Sox to pick up someone that I do believe can be a starting pitcher with time. And like I said, in 2023, 2024, I do believe that Burke can be part of the White Sox starting pitching depth, and maybe he's getting some spot starts during double headers, and we'll see where he goes. Kind of like we're in this position with Jonathan Stever, where maybe Burke, as his floor, is a quadruple A starting pitcher, James, and we don't know if he could if he's got staying power in the major leagues or if he's got to move to the bullpen. But for a third-round pick, I still think that's pretty good value for the White Sox where they have struggled to develop third-rounders to reach the major leagues at the least. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people like Jonathan Stever, or they did, like, until they saw him prematurely pitch in the big leagues, right? I mean, he was kind of, raising, like, rising on prospect rankings. I mean, he was a fifth-rounder out of Indiana. He had kind of a tough year. Um, to close out his junior year, but then he went to Winston and he was totally different and he was very mm-hmm. good. Sean Burke's a much better prospect at the same like stage than Jonathan Stever was. So, I mean, this is like a real guy. It's a real pitching prospect. I mean, he's, we haven't done any top thirties or anything, but he's, I mean, he's definitely like top 12 or 13 in their system right now, I would think. And it's obviously not a great system, but yeah, I mean, he, he's a real guy and he'll be added to their, their mix of, of starters going forward. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. If you want an ad-free version of the Socks Machine podcast, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. Sox Machine Patreon supporters get exclusive content like the 2021 Major League Baseball Draft Reports, an ad-free version of the podcast and website, plus the first opportunity to purchase or receive our new swag items, like the new Sox Machine caps we just got. Monthly plans start at just $2, and it goes a long way in helping support Sox Machine, which we are very grateful for. Again, visit patreon.com slash socksmachine to sign up. 
All right, let's take a look at the White Sox uh, picks throughout the the first 10 here. Uh, There's a lot of senior college relievers, which these are the $10,000 bonus guys. Uh, The guys I'm talking about are like Taylor Broadway from Ole Miss. That's a $10,000 signing. Uh, He was a college reliever. The blacksmith, Theo Denlinger from Bradley University. He's got he's an interesting story. I think that's why you'll hear a lot about Theo. He's 25 years old, so he's much older on the college uh, age scale. Uh, he's got good stuff, but he's known for being a blacksmith and creating videos, chopping things with the swords that he make uh, that he makes. Uh, Frazier Ellard from uh, Liberty University, another college reliever. Gil Luna from Arizona, another college reliever. Tommy summer from indiana he started games for the hoosiers but i think ultimately he moves into the bullpen Uh, so those are your picks six through ten and james i've always felt like with this strategy these are your ten thousand dollar signing bonus guys to help go over slot now with pick four their fourth round pick i don't think they're going over slot on him but what are your thoughts about brooks goswine from bradley university so you know, the thing that's weird about him is I've, I've watched him a little bit since they've taken him and I've talked to people. And I guess even like uh, Kevin Goldstein and some others said that it's like a really good, like left-handed arm and he's kind of like a pop-up guy, but the numbers were bad and they should be better like pitching at Bradley. Right. So maybe, maybe that's just because he's not a starter. Cause I think he's like ran it up to 97 from the left side and he has a good breaking ball. So then I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know how he has an ERA in the fives, you know, pitching in that conference. Right. So like at a certain point, like the, the stats matter there, but they, you know, they like his arm enough to take him there. I I would imagine they'll send him out as a starter, even if they think like, Oh yeah, he's like a left-handed reliever at some point, you know? So, uh, you know, a guy that was similar and look, I don't think he's going to be like Aaron Bummer because that's crazy. But I mean, Aaron Bummer was a college starter mm-hmm. at Nebraska and he wasn't very good. Right. And then he, he transitions over and all of a sudden it's a completely different guy. So like the White Sox have done this a lot. It's a little strange, you know, like they took him at, in the fourth and like we've talked about, that doesn't mean that he's like a fourth round value there. Right. I mean, I think baseball America had him in the three hundreds on their top 500. The next guy is more interesting, which kind of is like, okay, why didn't you just take Tanner McDougal in the fourth and Goswin in the, but you know, stuff like that's weird. So who knows? But yes, like those top five picks, you know, are definitely different than the guys that we kind of just like glossed over in six through 10. Yeah, I I didn't know if it would be fair to gloss over Goswin because he was selected in the fourth round. But I'm seeing college reliever as far as in his profile. And maybe as a college reliever, he's got a better opportunity to stay consistent 96, 97, James, out of the bullpen and just be a fastball slider guy and hope that maybe Goswine can develop somebody like a Jace Fry type reliever for the White Sox down the road. Uh, so, yeah, so- and I, I, do, I do think he's going to get fairly real money though like he, he's probably going to get like a hundred thousand i would think in the fourth round so yeah. whereas you're right the six through ten those are those are 10k guys and really quick we don't we don't have to touch on these and you know because we'd be here all day taylor broadway is actually a little bit interesting he is old which you know is, is why he's going to be cheap but baseball america ranked him I think in the 300 range, you know, 350 range, like that, that's a guy that could move quickly as a reliever because you really have nothing to lose because he's like 24 years old already. Yeah, he is older. I just, there's a bad taste because I saw him later in the season where he absolutely got rocked. <laughs> so uh, I've seen him when he's good. And I think he's got potential to, to rise through a system, but he is someone that is a, uh, a bit undersized. He's 5'11", uh, not quite six feet tall. Uh, he's 94, 95 uh, as far as the fastball. Uh, it, it, it just the I mean, I'm looking up the start. Yeah, the LSU start where he gave up seven hits in three innings is the one that I remember. No, Arizona. Yes. Yeah, so 
in the in the postseason in the super regional. Uh, now I remember Broadway allowed eight hits and six earned runs and in three innings pitched against Arizona. And I just felt like, oh, this is the the white flag reliever. And then I go back into my notes in my Google sheet and be like, oh, no, I, I've seen this guy a few times. Uh, well, this is interesting. He's not the white flag guy, but ended up being that way uh, for Ole Miss. So we'll see him what what Broadway can do for the White Sox. But yeah, let's talk about some of the more intriguing picks after the first three rounds for the White Sox. And I'm with you. So I wrote three names down that I thought were intriguing. So let's go to pick number five, the fifth round pick, Tanner McDougal. Uh, what are you hearing and what do you like of McDougal to the White Sox? So surely, you know, I may, I got, I was lucky enough to get on a conference call with Mike Shirley. I just wanted him on the record as to like, you know, kind of what they saw, you know, they saw him at the combine, but they said that they liked him before that. I mean, six foot five righty, they think he can start. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good fastball, but I guess it's a, you know, it's a slider with 3000 RPMs, which I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, for an 18 year old and it's, it's not somebody who's already like maxed out physically. So if you're going to take a chance here, this seems like the type of guy that you're going to take a chance on. I mean, it, I don't know how real the, I think it was an Oregon commitment. I don't, I don't know how much he ever really considered that when he's, you know, tweeting that he's a member of the White Sox organization, like an hour after he's chosen, you know? So, and guys don't go in the top 10 rounds, like unless they're for sure signing, this might be, like close to a million dollars though. So, I mean, this is, you know, it, you add him to Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson, and he's not the caliber of prospect as Jared Kelly, obviously, but you, you know, you got a whole stable of young prep righties. This is the spot I think to do it. Like it makes a lot of sense. And it's a guy with a lot of untapped potential. It seems, I mean, he, it's a very close knit community, um, in that Vegas area. So he was mm-hmm. well known there, but he wasn't one of these guys that was, you know, like amazing on the circuit. You know, it's not like he's like Chase Petty or something like that. He was ranked 148th at Baseball America. Um, but I mean, scouting directors always say good things on conference calls, but he, I mean, surely sounded very, very excited to be able to like add this guy. Yeah. The notes that I got from Prep Baseball Report is that McDougal went to a Super 60 Pro Showcase in February of 2021. And there, his fastball, his max velocity on the fastball was 94. He was most consistent at 92 miles per hour during his bullpen. They listed it as a curveball. I've seen multiple reports that it's a swooping slider. So uh, let's just split the difference and call it a slurve. It's a slurve for McDougal uh, and his changeup was 84 uh, to 88 miles per hour. And asking some folks that I know, you know, a prep baseball report that saw him at the showcase, they somewhat, his caliber compared him to Andrew Dahlquist, which the White Sox took in the third round uh, a couple of years ago. And they thought that he was going to go to Oregon because uh, he was an Oregon duck commit. And that would have been a great pickup for Oregon. Uh, but the White Sox, I, I'm agreeing with you here, James. They must be pretty serious in the fifth round where the cost savings rounds through uh, six through ten. Uh, and you have Kylie McDaniel of ESPN reporting that West Cath is going to get a bonus similar to the 40th pick of the 2021 Major League Baseball draft. So that's about $1.85 million. So your overslot guys are probably going to be Cath and McDougal. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see on, on how McDougal uh, develops. And I'm with you, James. He gets kind of thrown into this pile with Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, and Andrew Dahlquist as these prep pitchers that have some promise. And we'll see if the White Sox can further develop them into more than just promising guys. Can they be part of the next wave of starting pitchers the White Sox promote to the major leagues with a timetable of, let's say, 2024. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on, especially uh, when McDougal starts pitching again. But uh, I agree with you with the college guys that most teams are going to shut them down. But with McDougal coming from high school and having some time off, do you think he's going to pitch in Arizona and then we'll see him next year in Kannapolis? 
I mean, I hope we see him. I mean, we're going to future Sox. We're going to have Sean Williams out there a few times. He usually goes out to see the pick. So, you know, just to get some video would be, would be good just to see what he looks. I would imagine like, I, I mean, I think the issue with the college guys, right. Is all the pitching after the long layoff, but the, the prep kids didn't really have that. So my guess is as soon as he signs, you know, we see him a little bit and they, you know, they won't, it might only be 10 innings or so, but you know, at least he'll pitch a little bit. So, you know, with, I, I wrote a big long piece for future socks today, kind of talking about the draft class as a whole. And I separated a little bit. I separated Mon- or, uh, Montgomery and Kath, but I also did, you know, they got four prep players and I'm sure we'll get to the other one, you know, and then a bunch of college pitching, and then Mike Shirley said something that I thought was very interesting with like some of the position players that they added late. If you uh, like want to get into that too, I think you've seen some of those guys. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the players, the other players that intrigue you in this draft class. So if you were to jot some guys down, cause not everyone, the white Sox select is going to be super interesting or intriguing, but who else is catching your attention? Uh, before or even after speaking with Mike Shirley? So, you know, I think we went back and forth a little bit. Like I was expecting them to take a couple of shots on day three. And I think through round 13 or 14, like it was a little bit underwhelming, right? Well, then the Cameron Butler pick happens at 15. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an outfielder from Big Valley Christian High School in California. And I don't know if you looked at his statistics or not, he's playing at a super small school in California. So then I'm like, okay, well, this guy's in the 15th. Like maybe, maybe he's going to sign like in a similar fashion to like, you know, your, your Bryce Bush pick or, um, you know, DJ Gladney was similar, you know, where an area Mm -hmm. scout just fell in love with the kid and had a good relationship. And it sounds like that's going to happen. Like he's signing. I'm not sure how much over it's going to be, but it'll definitely be over the 125 K. So he was described as a pop-up prospect, kind of everywhere. MLB pipeline didn't have him ranked, but baseball America had him ranked at 210. Yeah. Which you know, like I mean that's pretty surprising. I mean that that puts him like if you're stacking this draft class, right? I mean that's the fifth best player if you look at it that way, right? Just because of ranking. So like this is a guy that that matters. He played shortstop, he's going to play center. Mike Shirley said it's a guy they think could have five tools. I mean that's just something people throw around he hit 700 this year with, <laughs> with 15 homers in like 23 baseball games. I mean, it, it's absolutely, so, you know, he, he's likely playing nobody, but it's just like an athletic profile of a guy that's just going to go right into your system. I mean, he was going to, uh, he had a commitment to Cal Poly. Um, so that's, you know, they, they think he's like a fifth round player. Basically, I don't know if they're going to pay him like a fifth round guy, but they they said, you know, they thought he was like fifth, sixth round, you know, caliber player. And they're, you know, they they took him in the 15th. He had a really good relationship with Adam Virtus, who was the signing scout. That's, you know, the scout that found Marcus Simeon all those years ago. And, he, you know, he was the lead scout on Andrew Vaughn, um, too. So that that's probably the next of the interesting guys, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, some notes that I got uh, from Prep Baseball Report, they picked him to be the California Player of the Year. Uh, so think about all the California prep, pro- prep prospects. They pick Cameron Butler over Marcelo Mayer as their Prep Player of the Year uh, for the season that he had. Uh, Butler did face the Chicago Scouts Association travel team back in October 2020. Uh, he pitched an inning. He stole a couple bases in that game. And his Super 60 showcase, so the same showcase we talked about for McDougal uh, just a brief while ago, uh, in that same showcase, um, Butler ran a 6.7 60-yard dash. So that's 60 grade. And his ex- his max exit velocity uh, during the hitting drills was 100 miles per hour. So I, I'm with you, James, and I understand the interest from the Chicago White Sox, especially Mike Shirley in the 15th round. There are some tools here. There's not a set position for Butler because he played all over the place, and he also pitched. 
So I'm intrigued in what the White Sox do with Cameron Butler moving forward. You may see him all over the diamond, and maybe the White Sox give him a chance to be a two-way player. Uh, there are showcases where he hit 89 miles per hour, this fastball velocity. There are some that he was 84, 86, and that's not going to play. Um, but if they don't think he's a pitcher, it'll be really intriguing to see w- which positions that they put Butler in, because uh, he could be one of these super utility guys that he plays some time in the infield and in the outfield. But again, he's he's really young, and we'll probably get a first taste of watching him next year in Kannapolis as far as in the minor leagues. But you know, the more I'm, we're talking about Kannapolis in 2022, I haven't been to the new stadium yet, James. But if they have Colson Montgomery, West Kath and Cameron Butler on that team in 2022. That will that'll get me to buy a plane ticket to to go visit Kannapolis. All right, so that's Cameron Butler. Uh, who else on your list intrigues you? So I didn't know anything about Christian Edwards. You know, usually the 11th rounder is a guy that they really want. Like that, the 11th rounder is an important pick because it's the first pick. You know, in the in the round where you can go over the 125k to grab somebody. Um, Christian Edwards, right-handed pitcher out of Jacksonville state, six, three, two Oh five. You know, I asked Shirley about him. Shirley said that they went in to see, um, Trey Sweeney and Christian Edwards pitched against him and they, he was 94 to 98 and it was loud. He said with a good breaking ball, athletic body. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's 150,000 to buy him out of his final year at Jacksonville state. And, you know, he just becomes like an athletic starter at the bottom of your system. And who knows, maybe he turns into something or he's, you know, a reliever down the road. It's just like an arm that they really liked that I think was underrated. So, you know, that Jacksonville state, I don't really know. And I, I had never heard of him, like I said, but the, you know, the 12th rounder, I found funny, like Johnny Ray is a, He's a Quincy, Illinois guy. I think Shirley knew him very well. So Johnny Ray, I don't know how much you've watched him, but he was supposed to be like a top five round guy, like coming into the season. And he was pretty terrible this year. And he throws very hard, but he gave, I think he gave up 11 homers on his fastball this year, um, which isn't good. Um, But I think he's the type where they're going to, they'll send him to Kannapolis and he could be throwing 99 out of a bullpen and fans in the stands are going to be like, where the heck did they get this kid from? And, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to have to command it. And I don't think his spin traits are great if he's given up as many hits as he is because his, you know, his velocity is better than that. Um, but in the 12th round, I mean, it, look, take guys that throw high nineties and see if they can figure it out basically. Yeah. And back to Edwards, I think Edwards has a chance to be a power reliever for the white Sox Cause there are some, the thing that he can he can maintain 98 99 in short stints like an inning or two but yeah mostly in his starts he was sitting 94 95 which is still really good there there are some guys that like his slider that have seen him again these are guys that that were probably at that same game that the White Sox were at watching Trey Sweeney who ultimately won the first round to the New York Yankees uh so Edwards is someone that's on my list of guys that intrigue me uh, anyone else other than Johnny Ray? I'm I'm not that intrigued with Johnny Ray. I'll have to see what he can do in the minor leagues because I, I'm with you, James. That uh, his pitches are a little hittable. Very, uh, very much so. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't obviously like don't I don't know anything at all about Colby Smelly other than I read today that he he's technically not decided what to do yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then you know just moving on, it's it's a lot of college position players. And I'll let you take over for some of this, because I think you've seen some of these guys more than I have, but you know, Terrell Tatum, NC state outfielder, Jason Gonzalez, third baseman out of Vandy, Adam Hackenberg is Christian Hackenberg's younger brother. He's been hurt a lot, but he's a catcher from Clemson. And then Sean Goosenberg from Northwestern hit a ton in the big 10 this year. One thing Mike Shirley said is, you know, they added a lot of these power five guys because they're developed well and they were well coached. And he brought it back to Colson Montgomery and West Calf. And when you're going to have as many high school guys like this in your system, and look, you do have some intriguing faraway guys like Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez. And those minor league teams are, are pretty bad. Like, as we've talked about, um, when you can add guys like this, that can teach those guys the right way to do things. And maybe you think that stuff's overrated. I, you know, I, I hear it coaching football all the time and, I roll my eyes because some of it I think is overrated, but maybe there is something to be said for 
adding, you know, proven winners at big colleges that have performed that can help these guys along the way. And if they never make it to the big leagues for you, but West calf is better because, you know, he hung around with Jason Gonzalez for two years in the minors. Fantastic. Yeah. Tatum, he had a good super regional against Arkansas. Uh, I, I was surprised that he fell this far. I thought he could maybe go in the later, somebody's later top 10 picks, especially if they're looking to do an undercut deal. Uh, so I think that's a good signing for the White Sox. I, I think he's going to play some center field in the lower levels of the White Sox farm system. So don't be surprised if he does play in center field. I don't know if he's going to stick at center field as he progresses through the farm system. He might be better suited in left field. But I could see him in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem playing in center field. And then Jason Gonzalez. Jason Gonzalez can hit a fastball. I don't know if he can hit breaking pitches. Uh, I've seen him hit a home run against a hanging slider that was barely breaking, like just a cement mixer that was pretty much put on a tee. But there's some power. Like if he gets into one, he can launch it. And Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin was having Jason Gonzalez, you know, just describing this guy. You're probably thinking, oh, Jason Gonzalez probably batted fifth. Maybe for Vanderbilt. No, he batted ninth <laughs> for for Vanderbilt this year. Uh, he had a big home run. If you want to see the highlight in game one of the College World Series final against Mississippi State, I think he can stick at third base or at least he'll try to stick at third base for the White Sox. That's where he'll stay or at least that's where he played for Vanderbilt. Uh, so I'm, I, he's another one that I'm kind of surprised didn't go before the 17th round. I'm wondering if there was anything else that played into it because uh, he's definitely available. He was a senior and his final line uh, with Vanderbilt this year, uh, he had 280 with a 391 on base percentage and slugged 497. Uh, but again, I, I think he's got trouble against breaking pitches. He struck out 69 times at 32 walks. And he did hit nine home runs out of the nine spot for Vanderbilt this year in 61 games. So we'll see. I don't think he's like a legit prospect, James, but he's someone that I'm expecting once he starts getting in a uniform for the White Sox in Kannapolis or Winston-Salem, then people are going to post videos of him, highlights of him hitting home runs in the lower levels. And people are going to ask, hey, is Jason Gonzalez someone? But it's going to be this continuing this conversation, much like we're having the conversation about Mike or Adolfo. Yeah, there's power, but this guy's striking out 38 plus percent of the time. (laughs) So is that going to prevent them from developing and reaching the major leagues? And I think that's the problem with Jason Gonzalez is that that's what he's going to have to work on is have a better do a better job of recognizing breaking pitches because. Right now, I think uh, as an opposing pitcher, you can throw him three average-ish sliders, and he's going to strike out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, going back to Micker's funny. I mean, you know, if you put Micker Adolfo in the big leagues right now, you you might as well give him, you know, like when you go swimming as a kid and they have those, like, pool noodles? That's what it would, it would look like. if It would be like trying to hit a golf ball with one of those, I feel like, which is, you know, people see the big power, and that's fine, but, you know, it only takes you so far. I think of these guys, the one that intrigues me the most is Adam, Adam Hackenberg. He's the youngest of the group. I, you know, I hadn't really um, seen him at all. I know he's had a lot of injury questions, but, you know, Shirley said that they've been scouting him for a long time, but they think it's a plus defensive profile. So look, I mean, if it is a plus, if that's true and it is a plus defensive profile, like catchers take a while, but like he'll be in the minors for a while if he hits it all, but he can catch you know, there's always some big league versatility because I mean, Sebi Zavala is in the big leagues right now. And, you know, he struck out 37% of the time at Charlotte too. So if you can catch like you have, there's a shot. Is he going to sign? He is signing. Yeah. Okay. That was yeah. my and question I, about Adam he, was, so is he's, he signing? it's weird. Like, cause I think he, yeah, like he's, he's, he was in his fourth year, I think, but he's only going to be 21 somehow. So yeah, he did. He confirmed that he's he's signing and he's in that group. I mean, so Shirley did mention, he said he had some bumps in the road with his health, but he's back healthy now. The bat's coming back together, strong, durable body, you know, 
that. So I don't know what the injuries were, but it seems like he's had quite a bit of them or quite a few. Yeah, it's it's impacting as far as his ability hitting wise with power. He just doesn't hit with a lot of power. Uh, this season in 32 games uh, started, Hackenberg hit 258 with a 357 on base percentage, but slug just 392. Uh, he had 27 strikeouts to 13 walks. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's definitely more contact than power. So I'm intrigued if he is, because he still had a couple of years remaining as far as eligibility with Clemson. So that's why when they selected him, I thought, well, is this a throwaway pick? Um, because he's going back to Clemson. But if he's signing, going back to the White Sox as far as young pitching staff, right? They have all these teenagers. You're adding Tanner McDougal to the list uh, with Kelly and Thompson and Dahlquist. That maybe having somebody that is really good defensively and that has experience working with the pitching staff, especially from a Power 5 school like Clemson, there are benefits to having somebody like Hackenberg in tow with the near farm system, he may never reach the major leagues, but at least he could help out the prep pitchers that we are hoping could reach the major leagues in four to five years. Uh, maybe he can help out with their journey. Yeah. And, you know, he mentioned that there, there was a lot of catching discussion in the room. He said, you know, and look, some of this stuff is just what these guys say to get off of a conference call, but you know, they, they do need lower level catching depth, like in their system. So, they added this guy, you know, when he was talking, he made it seem like Kobe Smelly was, you know, that, that, you know, he said there was, um, they were excited to get him along with Kobe Smelly out of Shelton state. He called him a junior college kid with tremendous upside. And he basically said that they landed Kobe Smelly because of COVID because the junior college kids basically stayed a year longer than they should have. So if he would have went on to, um, I think it's Louisiana Lafayette where he's committed to. So if he would have went on to Louisiana Lafayette, he wouldn't have been eligible like for the draft this year, but he was because he stayed at junior college. And he, he basically spoke as if they had both of them in the fold. Um, I, I just, you know, linked in my article today, there was like an article out of Louisiana that said that he hadn't decided yet. So who knows, maybe that's just a matter of they have to see how much, like money they have left on top of the 125k to like get him to not go to Louisiana. All right, so anybody else on your list of intriguing guys or or anyone that of interest that White Sox fans can prepare to track cuz I'm out of guys on my list. Yeah, too. no. That's it. I mean, 20 round draft, you know, the 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 first 5 were important and then the 15th rounder and then anything after that. I mean, if you get look, the Sox have had a decent track record lately of stumbling on guys that are useful. Um, and we'll see if we come up with some, I do agree with you though, people that are heavy into the minor leagues, they're going to see some of these college guys in the lower level that play very, very well. And then they're not going to be ranked on top 30 prospect lists. And, you know, it's just because they're not really prospects, right? They just, mm-hmm. they're hitting, they're hitting a Canapolis against young players and then they get to double a and it's kind of just, over they've had a lot of guys like that over the years yeah jason gonzalez could hit 15 home runs for canapolis and winston-salem get to birmingham and he can't hit yeah that's exactly how i and terrell and from what i've seen of terrell tatum he's gonna be he's gonna be a guy that you know the kids in those small towns like want to go to the the cannonballers game to see terrell tatum run around and yeah yeah. grand old time uh he, he could be like a joel booker yeah, that's a good comp. I mean, that that's the type of guy. I mean, Booker was already like kind of old when he entered the system, so he was never really a prospect. And and look, Tatum might not be either. But yeah, you just farm systems need these types of guys. Well, you could read James's work over at futuresocks.com. Again, he did an excellent job recapping one through twenty for the White Sox. 2021 draft and he and i always have fun covering the major league baseball draft especially with the white Sox perspective and you can follow james on twitter he's at james fox 917 and james you know next year we're going to be in the same boat man the white Sox picked 22nd overall in the 2021 draft in 2022 
with the way that things are shaking, uh, the White Sox are probably going to pick after the 25th pick. Uh, if not, you know, picks 26, 27, 28, maybe even 29 if they win the whole damn thing. Uh, that would be very exciting. So I can't wait to host a three and a half hour Twitter space covering the first round draft next year. I know. I I hope that we have that problem. Right. It's a like good we, problem to have. Like, like I, I hope that we have to cover 30 picks in the first round. That would be that would be a tremendous outcome, I think. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, because that's where, you know, the Dodgers consistently keep picking and they still do a good job and you can still get good players. And I, I think at least for me, that's the takeaway that even though the White Sox are drafting later and they they will consistently draft later, especially during this championship window, I know they always get compared to the Cubs rebuild. But the Cubs, I think, didn't do a great job of drafting, and they kind of stopped developing talent. If the White Sox don't want to have the same fate that that's that's plaguing the Cubs right now, before they have to make some really tough decisions before the trade deadline, I think it needed to start this year with an eye towards 2024. And in future draft picks, in future draft classes, that's all they just have to keep doing is keep feeding the system with this young, exciting talent, high ceiling talent early. And I think they need to continue this strategy, James, of going over slot, especially in rounds two and three, to try to get three high quality guys and not be so concerned if this is a a good overall 20 round draft. Just, I think, do the best that you can to at least get five really good players out of this class and, and move on. Yeah, I think, you know, while you're winning, right, you want to add young athletes and you want to continue to add pitching. And it's the one thing like that the Cubs didn't do. They just they didn't develop any young pitching. And you just you can't buy pitching every year. You can buy some. I mean, but you you can't do it all the time. So and this is where, you know, this is one of the spots where having a bunch of scouts probably helps the White Sox. I think you like you said, you go over slot early with prep athletes and then you trust that your scouts on the ground can find Jonathan Stevers in round five and Jimmy Lambert's in round mm-hmm. five and Cody Hoyer's in round six. Like, look, even if, if you're finding relievers and in, in rounds five through 10, that's like one less guy that you have to pay for. So I think, you know, just to, they're, they're not going to have the a top five farm system anytime soon. They're not going to be the Dodgers. Um, but if you can stay in that 15 to 25 range, you should have enough to, to trade, to win baseball games, and to just, you know, have enough to be a pretty good organization going forward. James also talks about the White Sox farm system and what's going on with the White Sox with Mike Rankin on their podcast, the Future Sox podcast, which you can subscribe to that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And James, again, this is always fun to collaborate with you for the Major League Baseball draft. And thank you so much for hopping on the Sox Machine podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, thank you so much to our guest, James Fox from Future Sox. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.